Right, well, I, I'm really gonna need Deanna to calm down a little bit in worship, you know? I'm just gonna need you to calm down, getting too excited about the Son of God up here. This is, we're trying to have church here. We're supposed to be boring, dead, and stoic, and all that other stuff. Hey, it's great to see all of you, and I'm glad we are excited about Jesus, the Son of God. Um, I'm glad to be back. I, I, me and Susan went to Wyoming. We had a wonderful trip out in Wyoming. We, we, uh, we have some buffalo friends out there that we know, and we spent some time with them and some elk and ran into a grizzly bear while we were out hiking and all that other stuff. I mean, it really was a blast. And, but it's great to be back in Charleston. This is, without a doubt, the best city in the country. No matter how many people are moving here, and you say, well, you can't judge them, you're from, you're from Boston. Yeah, but I have officially been in Charleston for 40 years. So am I officially a Southerner now? Yeah, yeah, I heard you. I heard that, yeah. They're like, no, you're never gonna be. Yeah, I, that's, that's okay, no problem. But you know, uh, I'm excited. We're gonna continue in our series about abiding, but uh, next week we're gonna be starting a different series called Plotline. And what I'm going to do is going to be a little bit differently, uh, different than what I normally do, is we're going to rediscover the God story and the whole plot line. And it's going to be, in, I'm bringing in other teaching with this. And, and what I'm going to use is, it's called the Bible Project. If you haven't discovered it, you can YouTube it. It's highly illustrative. So I figured since we were going into summer, and most of us don't want to pay attention during summer, we don't want to be in learning mode, that I, I needed to bring in some sort of visual artistic element for the next couple of weeks. But there's a high level of scholastic in the area of Hebrew literature and biblical narrative and story. So it's going to be really good. I mean, it, it really is going to be good. So there'll be some part of it that will be, uh, we'll see this artistic rendering of what stories are about. Uh, it will be highly informative, inspirational. I have to admit that I've gone through some faith struggles in my life, and there are some times when I've looked at the story of God, the story of Jesus, the story of Christianity, and really have lost interest in it, um, and then even questioned its authenticity, or, you know, once it's like, okay, yeah, God rationally exists and all that sort of stuff, but I'm just not sure I even like him anymore. Um, the Bible Project was one of those things that God used to help me understand how do, how do I understand Job? How do I understand floods? How do I understand war? How, how do I understand all this other stuff and then and try to figure out Jesus at the same time and, and not turn into two or three other gods? Some some issues that I have at, you know, about five o'clock in the morning when I'm having a cup of coffee. So let me encourage you. It's going to be phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And I invite you, if you have a friend or a family member who's highly skeptical of Christianity, this is the on-ramp. This will be really good to get them to reconsider what they think about God. So um, a couple of weeks ago, we started learning about the, the Christian system is not a way for us to work God. And we, we were pretty much trained to work God. Certain things, that, certain prayers that we would pray. I remember a book called The Prayer of Jabez came out. And it was about how to expand your tent so that God will fill you with more stuff. You know, and, and, and throughout my journey in Christianity, there's always been this, these books and these teachings about faith and things like that. So, so that how you can work God to get a better life out of God as if God has to be worked and doesn't want you to have a better life. And so we learned that 
that there are promises from God about a better life and about an abundant life, but that Jesus said, follow me, don't implement me. That Christianity is not something to be implemented. It's not a series of propositions that we execute for the benefit of increasing our financial portfolio or to get a girlfriend, or to have a better marriage, but rather, Jesus invites us into this living relationship, and he he described this system that was highly organic and highly relational. He said, abide in me, and I in you, and as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, and he who abides in me and I in him, He bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you're here and you've been like me and you've had those down periods where, you know, you've looked at the theology, you've listened to the philosophy, you've you've done your church thing, and it just gets kind of stale. And it gets kind of like, oh, been there, done that. I've already read through the Bible three times in my life or something like that. If you've, you've gone to that place, what Jesus is saying is, listen, Have you thought about abiding in me, this relational context, as opposed to this religious system that we tend to work? And I have found that every time I come back to uh, this idea of abiding in him relationally, all the juices in the vine begin to flow, and I become fruitful again. And that theology alone and philosophy alone and good living and ethics alone cannot produce what abiding in relationship with Jesus alone has the power to do. And apart from it, we can do nothing. So he uses this beautiful idea of abiding and branches flourishing and abiding. And so, so we've been talking about this and that he wants us to be in a relational uh, system with him. It, it's, it's got touch and meaning and purpose and heart uh, and life in it, and he invites us to be a part of it. And for most of us, and I, I look at Christian history, and uh, like I was watching a, a movie. I, I can't tell you what movie because sometimes I'll get an email. Was, I can't believe Pastor Paul watched that movie. Well, I'll tell you what it is. You can send me an email all day long. I'm not going to start to get chicken now. I mean, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's called The King on Netflix. Um, and uh, I'd almost recommend it for everybody, but, uh, it's, uh, but in it, the Christian church does a lot of evil things. I mean, they're like burning people, and then I would watch the little thing about Joan of Arc and how she died, and I'm like, what the heck? But usually when people look at events like that in history, they're thinking, well, see, that's religion, that's the church. And I'm like, yes, it is that, but that's not abiding. That's never what what Jesus was about. That's not part of what Jesus was doing. And so as we've been looking at the life of Jesus and abiding in it, we've looked at his story, we look at his words, his promises, his empowerment, his example, his principles, and today we're gonna take a look at his mission. There's no part of the mission of Jesus that looks like 14th century church, okay? So what was that? That was 14th century people doing wacko things in the name of Jesus. But you know, you don't have to be in the 14th century to see church become derailed and people doing things in the name of God that really aren't what God is about. So today we're gonna be talking about abiding in the mission of Christ. And so when we think about 
mission with Christ, um, we tend to think about evangelizing the world. I think that's what particularly Bible Belters think about. Um, it's easy for me to think about the mission of Christ as getting rid of addiction or racism or abortion or sexual compromise, greed, poverty, and then along the way, save the planet. I mean, for a lot of people, when they say we need to be on Christian mission, you tend to polarize to one of those ideas. And I'm not saying they're bad. Um, and, and some of them are, are absolutely beautiful, a matter of fact, things to be a part of. But I think we kind of reduce what Christ's mission's all about when we, we just kind of reduce it to five or six different things that we get involved in. There's so much more to abiding in Christ than figuring out, than straightening out the sexual habits of all humans in the, in the United States. It's like, is that really, it's when we think about the mission of Christ, making America great again. Okay, which I don't think there's anybody who doesn't want America to be great again. But I really don't think that when I think about the mind of Christ, the mission of Christ, that it, that it becomes this nationalistic thing. I don't, I don't, when I think about the mission of Christ, I don't think it's like, well, you got to be Republican or you got to be a Democrat. And what I want to do today is kind of break that mentality out, that the, the abiding mission of Christ is so much richer. Will it affect how you are as a citizen? Yes. Will it affect your stand on the value of life? Absolutely. Will it affect your sexuality? Yes, it will. But there is so much more in the daily living of life than for us to just get polarized on three or four different issues and call that the church. So there's so much about abiding in it. There's this abiding in mission has, an, has upward parts, we're going to find it has outward parts and it has inward parts. The mission of Christ has all those things. Whereas as growing up in, in the South, because I can say that 40 years, I mean, that's a long time to be here. Growing up in the South, um, you know, mission always was knocking on doors and handing out tracts, standing on the side of a road and declaring Jesus Christ as Lord or paying for a billboard to, to, to do that for us, you know? But God wants to bring us back to a mission that is so rich and, and so much more that it affects everything. When, when Jesus was asked a question about the law, was, was kind of like summarizing the law, speaking of summarizing the law, how many of you watched the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard thing? You, you can raise your hand. You can admit that you wasted thousands of American, uh, a, a million work hours to look at that ridiculous idiotic, I mean, I, I have to be honest with you, neither one of them came out of it looking good, okay? It just, and it all, it, it was just crazy. And it was like trying to find right in the middle of it, who's right and who's wrong. And what we found out was like, it was just a colossal mess. So that happened with religion, that sometimes it becomes a colossal mess. He said, she said, you did, they did. And, and, and I think we're that, in that place in America right now. Okay, I think we really are pointing fingers at who did what and all that stuff. And it's getting us absolutely nowhere. So I would think Jesus would be standing outside the courtroom and after watching that and, and somebody coming up and saying to Jesus, okay, so what, what do you think it was all about? And Jesus would say, listen, I think you've gotten off track here. In Luke 10, he answers the question this way. He says, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, 
with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That is the mission. And there's a lot of upward in that, there's a lot of inward in that, and there's a lot of outward in that. When we think of mission, though, as evangelicals, and I use that very loosely here, um, we tend to think outward is, is changing other people's behavior. And I, and, I, and I want you to see that mission involves what's going on inside of you right now. What, what's going on inside of your home, your family, your relationships, your conversations. It's so much more than passing out tracts and knocking on doors. So there's a really hip word today. And, it's, and, and I'm, I'm, I try to be hip a little bit. I mean, come on. Wait, these sneakers, you, you, they're, they're top-notch, okay? I mean, I bought them on eBay, some dead guy. Uh, so I, I, I have a really weird habit. I, all my sneakers are used. Um, the thought of paying 100 and, or 200 and something dollars for sneakers when there's people dying in America every day and they're selling their sneakers, uh, he wasn't using them, so I bought them. So, uh, so if they start moving in the wrong direction, just, just know what's going on with my feet here, all right? I'm sorry, Robbie. That really did get us way off mission, didn't it? So I, I, try, I try to be hip. There's a word that I have kind of bumped into because of physical therapy and yoga and all stuff. It's the word mindfulness. Your watch does it to you. Your Apple Watch has an app on it called mindfulness. Um, it's a popular word in yoga, in psychology, in spiritualism, and in mysticism. And as you float from one group to another, depending on what group is using it, it picks up and loses some elements. But in general, in general, it means this, and I would say in its most benign form. Mindfulness means the quieting of your mind to observe the present moment, or to detach from the emotional intensity of the moment. Okay, so that, you, you may be in mindfulness at that particular level. But it has other levels, and I find most people go other levels with it. It's the practice of losing the self. It is the practice of finding the self in another camp. In another camp, it is the practice of pretending that you don't have children for five minutes. It's just the quieting of the self, I have no kids. And you just say that over and over again to yourself. In its fundamental level, and I just think you need to know all this, but in its fundamental level, it has roots in transcendental meditation. Now, you may not think a lot about transcendental meditation, but I'm from the 60s, and uh, the Maharashi yogi was a big deal in 1968, and uh, transcendental meditation was all about you know, us calming ourselves, centering ourselves, and and, but it is at the root of this concept of mindfulness that we now have. So it wasn't just like somebody came up with this idea of just quiet yourself in the woods, but it, it, it does connect all the way back to these original origins. And in Transcendental Men Meditation, which I was a fan of, it is the quieting of the surface activity of the mind and plunging into the depths of your mind, where you find this unified field of creativity, love, freedom, and consciousness. I mean, that was, that's it. And so that is what mindfulness has its root in it. It is emptying yourself of what's going on up here 
in getting that you would plunge deep into the ocean of who you are and somewhere down there in the middle of using your mantra, the noise that, that allows you to connect with consciousness, you lose yourself, you discover yourself, you develop a new level of intellect and creativity and you discover what they call bliss. I'm not making this, your watch will lead you in the practice of transcendental meditation. Just follow it all the way through. I mean, it will take you through the stages of it. So it's kind of like the rescue of humanity. With all the noise that we've been having and all the problems that we've been having and all the racism and all the chauvinism, misogyny and, and politicism and all the other different problems that we've had, the, the, the only answer the world can come up with is emptying yourself. And then hopefully when you empty yourself, that you'll come to discover the beauty of who you are. I'll tell you what, when I empty, I, I, yeah, this is Crosstown. I can, I, sometimes I think I'm supposed to like clean it up because it's like, no, these people know. When I empty myself of all other thoughts that are happening on this level, you know what the one thought I always come up with? Sex. I mean, when I, when I just clear out my head, when I'm like not thinking about work, when I'm not thinking about church, when I'm thinking, not thinking about this, when I'm not thinking about and it's like, mm, sex. You know, that's all I come up with every time. So I don't think that's what they're hoping was going to happen. So scripture speaks about this mindfulness because really what we're practicing is mindlessness or mind emptiness. And that's not going to change the world. That's not mission, is for all of us to go inward and discover our true selves. That's not gonna change any of the political, social issues that we're having today, the relational problems, the marital problems. Going inward is not going to be it. Matter of fact, scripture talks about being mindful in a totally different way. David said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Uh, o Lord, my God, my rock, and my redeemer. Isaiah said, those whose steadfast mind you keep in peace, in peace because they trust in you. Paul said, let the same mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. Not go discover your mind, not go empty your mind, but let the mind of Christ be in you. Paul said in Romans 8, 6, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Is that the mind needs to be set, it doesn't need to be emptied. It, we need to choose what our minds are on. Paul said this in Philippians four, he said, do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, that's a lot of stuff in the head. Let your requests be known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Or Peter who said, prepare your minds for action. Prepare them for action. You know, he's like, engage your mind. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it's time for us to take back our minds, but with this mission of Christ and to fill it with the mission of Christ. It's being mindful of the mission of, of the things that were in the mind of Christ. What was Jesus thinking about? It involves mindfulness, not emptying of the mind. 
It's not just knocking on doors or handing out tracts, but it could involve that. It's not just, it's not, and, and, I, and I say this because I grew up in the suburbs. I'm not going to pretend to be somebody I'm not. It's not just serving a soup kitchen, then heading back to the suburbs with a good feeling. You know, it's like, wow, I did my Christian mission. Now I get to go home and I fed the poor and I'm going to just head back to my house and we did my mission thing. Though that is a good thing to do if you do it in the right mind, in the mind of Christ. But it's greater than that. It involve, it's not just traveling to other regions of the world for a week and building a house, but it could involve that. But it has to go on in here, how we're thinking, how we're, how we're interacting with God, with ourselves, and, and, and with people around us. It begins with the remapping of our minds with, with his mission. I mean, just think about your marriage. Do you have a mission for that? Do you have what I, I like to call a manifesto, a declaration of soul about where your, where your marriage is going? Uh, where your family's going. Where, what's the mission for your parenting? What's the mission for the people that you work with? I mean, what, do you, what is the mission for your addiction? That thing that you struggle with over and over again. What's the mission that, that I can apply to my depression that I deal with every single day of my life? So Jesus is having a remapping of minds with a crowd on a hillside. This story has unfortunately kind of been turned into a benign American acquisition story. Because anytime the word blessed appears, Americans are all over it. You know, I'll Google search the word blessed because that's what I want. I just want to be blessed. So, well, so Jesus is going to use the word blessed a lot in this. And we call it the Beatitudes. Uh, and, and I think it's kind of lost some of its force of what he's trying to do in this. Um, so he's actually remapping minds with mission in mind. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, he sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. What, what has he just done? He's done a lot of inward missional mindfulness. He's talking about how you're operating inside of your head. Because as much as I disdain abortion and value life, what we have a problem with in America is that we have people who have not allowed the mission of Christ to hit their heads so they could do the missional work outside the right way, okay? And so that's why we've made so many enemies, because we're nasty, ugly, hateful, and then, but yet we're saying we're doing the mission of Christ. It's like, no, no, no. Jesus is like, okay, listen, the mission has to happen in your soul, in your spirit, and, and how you handle grief. There's a mission there. Because some of us right now, you give money to the church, you give money to the poor, you serve in nursery, you do all this other stuff. But the mission of Christ on your morning is not working. It's like you're so brokenhearted that that mission has not penetrated your sorrow, your divorce, your loss. And Jesus is like, no, we need mission in there. Your disappointments with life. Your battle with cancer. You know, it's like, no, I... 
I want mission in there as well. He goes on and he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I mean, again, this is all missional. How I deal with people in need, how I deal with my pursuit of God. God's very interested in that. Do you see how sitting in a room and humming in this position is not going to fulfill any of this missional work? It's not gonna help you deal with the loss of a loved one by emptying your mind. You know, it's, it's not gonna fix the world because you have, have calmed down your emotional self, but yet you still possess your hateful self, your jealous self, your racist self. I mean, because we all have, you know, I'll be honest with you. If we, if we wanna go deep into the human consciousness, that's what we're going to find. We're gonna find discord of every, every form. And none of us are immune to it. And Jesus is like, no, 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 that's not the direction we need to go. We need to have the mind of Christ. He goes on and said, blessed are you when people insult you. Did you ever think that there was, there's a mission on how you're supposed to deal with insults. I never thought that was missional. It's like, if you insult me, it's like, I'll do this, I'll feed you, I'll teach you, I'll help you mow your lawn, I'll let you do that. But for me, insult me? Mission's off, baby. I mean, seriously. And, and Jesus is like, no, 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 I want you to be missional. And I know you're, you're doing a good job with the poor, and I appreciate what you're doing for the poor. But you know what? Your mission for handling insults is really not doing so well. You're so angry all the time so quickly. And he's like, no, I want, I want you to handle, the mission of Christ is how we deal with forgiveness, how we deal with insult in our life. He says, blessed are you when, when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, this is a call to biblical mindfulness, a cycle of upward, inward, and outward thinking. Thinking differently about power. Thinking differently about possessions. Thinking differently about purity. Thinking differently about, about people. Thinking differently about persecution or conflict in your life. That's the mission of Christ. And that's why I don't, when people say, are you an evangelical church? I have to be honest with you, I'm at the point where I don't, don't no, I, I can't say that anymore. Because I don't know what that means. I've actually researched it. It means like five different things and only one of them is close to what I want it to mean. Because why? It's because the mission came off the rails. Because we became missional about ethical issues, but we didn't become missional about power, possessions, purity, people, and how we dealt with conflict. We suck at that. We're just as nasty as the others. I don't know who the others are. They're, they're us, you know, also. But you know, how we, how we deal with things. And so Jesus is trying to get into us. It's like, no, I want, I want the mission to be like, husbands, how you talk to your wives. Wives, how you deal with your husbands. I mean, it's like, I want the mission in there. You don't need an empty head. You need a clear head. And they're not the same thing. You need, you need a head that's clearly 
focused on Christ in all things. So it's easy for me to think that the mission of Christ is to get rid of all these, these issues that really need to be challenged in our own personal lives. But do you see how narrow and insane it is when we make it all about America or we make it all about Republican or all about being Democrat or, or it's all about race or it's all about homosexuality or it's all about abortion or it's all about... Do you see how we, we lose by polarizing and, and, and contextualizing mission to such these little things? That's why Jesus talks about get your, whole, get your house in order. He's like... People will not listen to you on political issues if you are confounded inside your soul about how you handle insults, hate, justice, love. I don't want to hear your opinion about anything. But it is funny. I can listen to just about anybody's opinion when I feel that I am safe with that other human being, when that other human being really is trying to love me with the heart and the mind of Christ. I'm open to any proposition when, when I experience that kind of person. So I'm not saying that those other things aren't important, but I think we have, as Christians, have kind of like narrowed down to what's your stand on this, Pastor Paul? What's your stand on that? What is the church doing about this? It's like, if I could just get the church not to gossip, it'd be freaking amazing, wouldn't it? If I could just get Pastor Paul to not use the word friggin', it would be amazing. I mean, it was just, it's just, there's so much we need to be busy doing before attacking anybody else. So I was having a conversation, a meaningful conversation with one of my kids. So let me say, if you're raising a toddler or a teenager at this particular point, hang in there. Because, um, because if you do it right, and it's one, you end up with a really cool friend at the end of it. I mean, and I love having spiritual, philosophical, theological conversations with my daughters. I mean, I just absolutely love talking to them about God. So here was the question. One of my daughters asked me if, do you think I'm a kind person? That was the question. Uh, and you know, as a dad, that's a pretty precious gift that your adult children, 30-year-old children, would come up and ask you about whether or not they have a character flaw. And so I thought about it, and I thought about the word kind. And I thought about it for a lot, and so it got me to do a little bit of evaluation in that moment, and I think God kind of spoke to me. And um, so here's what we came up with. There are really two words we need to think of. Kindness and thoughtfulness. Because I found me and this daughter of mine are kind people, but we may not be very thoughtful people. And you say, wow, you're mincing words. No, I'm going to tell you that Christ-mindedness is the blend of these two words. Um, kindness is this. Kindness is giving compassion and truth in the moment. I am the guy. You're broken down on the side of the road, pull it over, you're having a meltdown in the parking lot and you're weeping, I'll come over. Um, you, if you ask me for something in a moment, I'll do it. Hey, Pastor Paul, can we talk? I'll talk it. You know, I, I'm a kind person. I have kindness. And I, 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 I'm, 
but I'm not very good at thoughtfulness. See, thoughtfulness, as kindness is what you, the act you perform in the moment, thoughtfulness is creating the future moment for kindness. That's a big difference. Here's a, a simple illustration. I thought about this the other day. You're going to a party, you've been asked to bring brownies, okay? So, uh, yeah, will you bring some brownies? It's like, okay, I'll bring some brownies. Okay, well, kindness would be you go get some brownies, and you bring them, and you show up. Thoughtfulness would be what my wife is. My wife is the epitome of thoughtfulness. If you're bringing something to a party, you should be at least 15 minutes early for that party. That the hostess or the host does not want you showing up with your fruit tray 30 minutes into the party. So thoughtfulness will be like, you know what, I need to be there. Thoughtfulness would be to call two days before, hey, how many people do you think are going to be there? Because uh, So you think you're going to have about 50 people there? I will adjust how many brownies I make. It's like, what are you doing? You're improving the future moment. You're creating. And, you know, so you need both. You need to be kind. But Jesus is not only kind in the moment, he's got this thoughtfulness, creating a future moment. So think right now. You know you're going to work on Monday, right? Have you given any thought to how you will bring kindness to work on Monday? Just think about it. Have you, have you sat mindfully, instead of emptying yourself, have you given some thought how Monday is going to be better for every person that works with you? See, that's Christ-mindedness. It's not just doing the right thing at the right moment at the right time. We need that. But it's also thoughtfulness. And so, so husbands, Think about, you'll do anything for your wife, particularly if she tells you to do it, okay? I'm not even sure that's kindness, that's shrewdness. I should add that as the third word. But you do what your wife tells you to do. But husband, have you considered thoughtfulness about next Wednesday? I learned something about my wife where this is the worst thing you can do, guys, and I do it all the time. She'll say, hey, what do you think about going out on Friday, going out to get, have dinner? I'll be like, okay, great. I don't think about it again. She'll remind me on, on Friday and say, hey, have you thought about where you want to go? And I'll say, uh, you pick, you want to go. I tell you what, my wife is like, just forget it. You have not thought about this all week, and then you're going to throw it back at me. You pick the place, you make the phone call, you get the reservation, okay? And guys are walking away like, what? Well, I do. I, I do. I do. I went to dinner with you. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You showed up. You paid the bill or whatever. But there was no thoughtfulness. And we're living in a society that it thinks its only way to avoid racism is to empty your mind of hostility. Oh, it's going to have to be more than that. It's going to involve thoughtfulness. I'm in my 34th year of marriage, and it's a rich, thriving marriage. And you say, well, you're just better people. No, I'm not. I already told you, every time I empty my mind, sex is all that comes into my mind. It's like, no, what do you do? 
The mission of Christ tells me how we argue. The mission of Christ tells me how I forgive. The mission of Christ tells me what I think about other women. The mission of Christ tells me I shouldn't be thinking about other women. The mission of Christ tells me how we do family. The mission of Christ, all this, and I haven't even left the house yet. And that's what God wants us to do, is is to re-engage and abide in the mission of Christ. Acting missionally. Responding in the moment, kindness. He wants us to do that in the moment. But he also wants us thinking missionally, creating moments and spaces for kindness to happen. And that's, that's where it gets hard, isn't it? But that's where the mission of Christ... I mean, what is prophecy in the Bible? Is God being thoughtful about future events? You know, he doesn't just show up as a baby, born of a virgin, and then dies on the cross, and then leaves it all for us to figure out. He's like, no, I said in Isaiah 500 years sooner that I was going to do it. Why? Because I wanted you to know I didn't just have pity for you. I was thoughtful of you. While you were lost, while you were broken, I was thinking about your rescue. Wow. Isn't that amazing? There's uh, um, a woman in the church here, uh, uh, Tina Ward. And uh, every year, I don't know where she she came up with it, every year at about May, uh, uh, I don't know when, my anniversary, 28th. Okay, five days before our anniversary, whatever date that is, she sends a card to our house thanking us for being married and being parents and being good people and kind of showing her and Joe that marriage works. I'm just like, that's incredible. Let let me just, we were on a trip, and um, there was a bunch of us, and we rented this cabin, and we were mountain biking, doing all this stuff, and Susan had one request while we were on this trip. This is a true story. She wanted to see the sunset as a family just one time. But, you know, I, I invited a bunch of guys there. We were mountain biking through Nantahela. We are blah, blah, you know, having just blasts and all this other stuff. And, um, uh, and then we are eating, and we got a pig to cook. We got all this other stuff. And Susan has only one request. Can we just stand out on the porch and watch the sun go down? It doesn't happen. Okay, because, you know, Mr. Visional, you know, I'm out there making sure everybody's having a good time, and it's like going along, but she doesn't my daughter Morgan notices that Susan doesn't get her son set. She gets in the car, goes to a local little town in the mountains of North Carolina, buys a postcard with the picture of a sunset over the Appalachian Mountains, and mails it, brings it to the post office, and says, Mom, here's your sunset. I love you. By the time we get back to Charleston and Susan is checking the mail, that postcard, and Susan begins to weep. She got her sunset. How do moments like that happen? Thoughtfulness. Not empty-mindedness. Not looking for your bliss. That's not going to fix anything. It's having the mind of Christ. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, and I'll tell you what, self-centeredness will take your taste away. 
There is nothing worse than being in a society that is so compelled and intoxicated with self-fulfillment. He says if salt loses its, its saltiness, it's, what good is it? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Marriages have not failed because the concept of marriage has failed. It's because people have gone into it expecting it to be a self-fulfilling moment instead of a thoughtful moment. Marriages work 100% of the time when two people are living thoughtfully towards each other. Guaranteed. You got two people sitting in their own separate rooms going, hmm, I don't know what you're going to get out of that. So let me close this down. You are a light of the world. Jesus is saying this about us. A city on a hill cannot be hid, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but on a lampstand, and he gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works, what you've been filling your mind with. And let me just say, your good works will never precede your good mind. Oh, you got to tweet that one out. Your good works will never precede your good mind. It will first be something that you will have to be mindful of before something that you'll actually live out. It will have to live in here. So let me just ask a couple questions. Missional thoughtfulness is, is our calling. It's our calling in our conversations at the coffee shop. It's our calling when we're tucking our little ones in at bed at night. It's our calling when we choose to end a conversation that is turned septic. It's giving someone else to their needs when they've lost their job. It's spending less time celebrating yourself and more time celebrating others. It's seeking the righteousness and the purity of God in the hid, hidden parts of the soul. So Jesus' mission is going forth on planet Earth. It is. Nobody's going to stop it. He was very clear. The gates of hell will not stop what he's doing. The question is, is that mission alive in you? Inwardly, outwardly, and upwardly. His mission's going to happen, but the question is whether or not we've got the mind for it. Is it in you? Is it moving through, through you? And so the last verse that I want to leave you with is the one that came from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, when he said, prepare your minds for action. That's what we need to be doing, is preparing, constructing, orienting, remapping our minds not for self-fulfillment not for getting in touch with our collective consciousness but rather creating future moments where kindness reigns isn't that what America needs man just looking at the news this last two weeks it's been psychotic hasn't it we got one nation invading another nation. We got half the nation um, uh, practicing voyeurism, watching two weirdos in court do stupid stuff. And then we've, we've got 
then weird people shooting up schools, churches, you know. And, I, and we want to clear our country of guns, and, and maybe that's the way to go. We want to clear our, our nation of this and that. And it's like, oh, no, no. It's time to prepare our minds for action. Our actions will never supersede the thoughts that we have to have first. And our thoughts about God need to be high, about purity, about righteousness, about truth. We need it to be in the inward parts of who we are. We don't need you to be a better you. You don't need me to be a better me. You need me to have the mind of Christ. That's how everything changes. So prepare your minds for mission with the mind of Christ. Father, as we, we are in this moment, we thank you so much because I know you've let me talk about sacred things. You've let me talk about taboo things. But isn't that the mind of Christ that you are concerned not only about how we treat one another, but how we think about ourselves and how we think about you? God, it's time for us as the followers of Jesus Christ to get back to the real mission, the mind of Christ. To love the Lord God with all our heart, our minds, our souls, our stuff, our influence. To love my neighbor. My neighbor is myself. Not just to bake brownies, but to go beyond there to create the future moment. A moment where kindness will reign, where racism and hate will be thwarted. Not because of a political shift, but because the mind of Christ in each and every one of us. So as we come and we receive the bread of Christ, the cup of Christ, we do so not only to remember your sacrifice, but to remember what Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who gave himself for others. We thank you.